Thanks, Emilio. Good morning. It's great to see you. I'm glad uh, that you're with us here at the 1045 service. And we're in the season of Advent, and since uh, we began Advent, we are in a series titled Behold the King, uh, looking at the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke together. And in Advent, we look back at what Jesus accomplished in his first coming, and we're looking forward to what Jesus will accomplish in his second coming. Uh, Advent means coming or arrival, which means if, if we're longing for something to come, we find ourselves waiting. And I don't know about you, uh, but I'm not very good at waiting. Uh, I don't enjoy waiting uh, very much at all. Uh, Monday through Friday, I drop my, our two oldest boys off at, at school. And at school, there are two car lines. There's an inside line and an outside line. Uh, and I finally figured out that there is no rhyme nor reason which lane's fastest on any given day. Uh, and, and so one, one day might be the inside line, the next day is the outside line. And so every morning, uh, my boys and I play a game. Which lane's going to be the fastest because we don't want to wait, or dad doesn't really want to wait. Uh, and so we choose the lane, uh, and if we choose the fastest lane, then we celebrate together because we, we chose it. And if we choose the slowest lane, then I chose it. All right, dad uh, made the wrong decision. Uh, waiting is no fun. Uh, we don't enjoy it. My least favorite words to hear when I uh, talk to an operator on the phone are, please wait. My least favorite thing to see on my computer is that blue spinning wheel might pop up. Waiting's no fun. I know I'm not alone in feeling this way, though I'm sure most of you are more patient than I am. All of us have been discipled into the cult of speed. We want what we want when we want it. But Advent is a season, if we allow, where God wants to disciple us out of the cult of speed into waiting. Advent is a season in which we're reminded God does not operate according to our timelines and in the ways we always desire. But he is coming. He is coming. But for now, we wait. And so I want to ask you a question as we begin this morning, and I want, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it because we're going to come back to it at the end of my sermon. What is something that you've been waiting on or for for what feels like a long time? I want you to think about one thing that feels like you've been asking God to change or to make different or to provide, but it has not happened yet. Hold on to it. Waiting for all of us is difficult. Waiting can cause confusion. It can create a sense of emptiness and loneliness. It can provoke dark nights of doubt. And this morning, we're going to look at how God, in our waiting and in, his, and in his coming, can drive the dark of doubt away. Last week, we looked at Mary and how God closes the gap between the head and the heart. This week, we're going to look at Zechariah and how God can move us from doubt to faith. I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80 uh, as our text this morning. But just as a head, heads up, I'm going to be re referring to a, a lot of Luke chapter 1 in the early, ch early verses uh, because we're going to take just a deeper dive in, into Zechariah together. So if you're, you're able, go ahead and stand. And we're going to give attention to God's word in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. This is God's word to us this morning. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. 
And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide, of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And pray with me. Lord God, we ask that you would come now. Holy Spirit, that you would come. And that you would fall fresh upon us that our minds might be illumined and our hearts might be receptive to the words that were just read. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that you might move us to trust and faith in you, that, that you, Jesus, would preach, that you, Christ, would be exalted. Spirit, would you speak to our spirits? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. So in your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, silence is deafening. It's a phrase that we've said, maybe you've experienced it. Silence is deafening. The meaning of this phrase is that silence as the response when you're anticipating a different response communicates loud and clear. It's deafening. This is particularly true of God. When we've cried out to God, who we are trusting is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And God's response is silence. It can be deafening. It can be crushing. It can cause confusion and create doubt. C.S. Lewis deeply loved his wife, Joy, and she was diagnosed with cancer not long into their marriage. And she endured a long and terrible battle with cancer before she died. And C.S. Lewis wrote about his experience and his feelings of his wife in his book, A Grief Observed. And this is just an excerpt from his book. Where is God? You go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Lewis says that his experience of God felt like a double bolting of the door and after that, silence. Shusaka Endo wrote a book in 1966, which was made into a movie in 2016, called Silence. 
It's about 17th century Japan, and a young monk named Father Rodriguez goes looking for his mentor, who he heard had abandoned his faith. And upon arriving in Japan, Father Rodriguez sees the suffering of Christians and the persecution of Christians up close and personal, and his very own faith was shaken, and he doubts God. And this is how he describes what he experienced. He says, God remains with folded arms of silence in the face of injustice. And so I want to ask you, have you ever felt God's silence? Have you ever felt the, what, what feels like the double bolting of the door or God standing with folded arms? Perhaps you're in a place like that this morning where the silence of God is deafening. When we experience this, it can create confusion and it can provoke dark nights of doubt. The people of God felt the double bolting of the door and the deafening silence of God for 400 years. 400 years was the time that elapsed from God's final words to his people in Malachi chapter 4 until Luke chapter 1. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 to 6 are the last words of the Old Testament and they are the promise to send the prophet Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. Luke chapter 1, 400 years later. And God finally speaks, acts, and sends the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. 400 years of silence. Can you imagine waiting that long? I'm going to have a hard enough time waiting in line at the grocery store. 400 years. Well, finally, God breaks the silence and God speaks to Zechariah by sending the angel of the Lord and the advent of God happens. God comes, he speaks, and he acts. Now, we need to understand who is Zechariah as, we, as we're jumping in this morning. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that Zechariah was a priest serving in the house of the Lord. It's a very religious man who kept himself busy serving in the temple. He was married to Elizabeth, whose family is from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting for the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, along with the rest of God's people. But Luke chapter 1 also lets us know that they are experiencing deep personal pain and shame as they wait on God to answer their longing and their desire for a child of their own. Luke 1 verse 7 tells us that Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They are old. They're over the age of 50. And in first century Israel, being barren was a mark of shame. Many believed that it was a curse of God. In many ways, Zechariah and Elizabeth are mirroring the waiting of a child like Israel was waiting on the Christ child. And God breaks the silence and the angel speaks to Zechariah in Luke 1 verse 13. Do not be afraid. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And then Zechariah responds in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah is full of doubt, and he's questioning the messenger of the Lord. But by the end of chapter 1, in the passage that we read, Zechariah in faith is singing a song of full salvation. Zechariah moves from doubt to faith. How does this happen for Zechariah? How can it happen for us? That's what I want us to look at this morning. And the answer is silence. God's silence and our silence. Let's look first at God's silence. I want you to hear this. The silence of God is not the absence of God. 
What felt like 400 years and what feels like 400 years to us is an instant to God. What feels like God is not working, God is working in mysterious ways. 400 years of silence it was not solely a judgment on God's people, but it was a mercy because it took them to their need and their longing and their desire of God. Here's my, here's my point. Waiting on God is where we are formed most deeply. Waiting on God are the times when we experience the silent silence of God are the times he is deeply working in us and therefore are the mercies of God. For it takes us to our need and we become desperate for God's advent, for his coming, for his moving and his acting. Now this does not mean waiting is easy. It's not. It can cause confusion, loneliness, doubt. Right? Zechariah doubted what the angel told him. He questioned, how in the world, how can this be? We are old in age. Oz Guinness in his book called Doubt says this, the world of Christian doubt, uh, the world of Christian faith is not a fairy tale, make-believe world, question-free, problem-proof, but a world where doubt is never far from faith's shoulders. What he is saying is that wrestling with doubt is part of the Christian life. If you've never wrestled with doubt, then you're either living in fairy tale, make-believe world, or you are immature in your faith. Because part of growing in faith is wrestling with the times that you don't have faith. Os Guinness, he defines doubt as a divided heart. A heart divided over not knowing what to believe going forward, not knowing how to proceed in life. Right. An example, say your doctor, you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you that uh, you, you, you have high uh, blood pressure uh, and that you, you now have diabetes and that sugar is going to kill you if you don't control it. And you see the medical chart and you believe the doctor. But then that night, you're in the presence of dessert and it smells so good and it looks even better. Suddenly your heart's divided and you doubt what the doctor said. Maybe you give in and you eat a little dessert. So the essence of doubt is a divided heart. And as we experience the silence of God, we can experience a divided heart. We believe in God. We believe his word. We believe his promises. But by the appearance of things, it can seem like God is not present, that God is not working. But in Advent, we proclaim that Christ has come and Christ is coming again. It may not be in the way or the timing we desire, but we can trust God with what is beyond appearance and sight. For as the Apostle Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now I know that in the silence and the, and the waiting of God, we are all tempted to numb ourselves with alcohol, food, holiday parties, Netflix. We're tempted to be busy, busy with work, busy with family. We can even busy ourselves like Zachariah with religious duties. But I want to encourage us all this morning, don't waste the moments of deafening silence. Don't waste the wilderness. Don't waste the pain and the suffering because God is doing something profound and mysterious in your life. The darkest night for Jesus was when he hung on the cross. And he wanted his father to save the world in any other way than his death on the cross. He pleaded with his father for another way. And as Jesus hung on the cross, his own father turned his face away because Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. And in that darkness, I am sure Jesus felt the double bolting of the door. 
I'm sure that Jesus felt like his father was standing there with arms folded in silence. But it was out of the silence and out of the death that God was bringing life and salvation for the world. And so we wait in silence. And as Christians, we we don't wait like we do when the operator says, please wait, with like frustration and boredom. Rather, we wait like a lover with a bouquet of flowers in hand waiting for their lover to arrive. We wait like a child standing at the top of the stairs waiting to go downstairs on Christmas morning. We wait like Elizabeth did for the labor pains to begin so that her child could come into the world. We wait in anticipation for God to act and to show up and to move. We wait for that new job. We wait to get married. We wait for a child. We wait for a wayward child to return. We wait for healing to sickness. We wait for peace and conflict. We wait for encouragement and discouragement. We wait for clarity and confusion. We wait trusting that Christ, who already came, is coming again. And as we wait, we find ourselves needy and we find ourselves desperate and we will find that God comes and meets us by his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he may not come in the way we want in our circumstances. You may not get that job. It may take longer to get married. You may not have a child. Sometimes the sick die and conflicts get worse and wars rage. But here is our hope. And here is why we can hope in Advent because it's not the end of the story. Christ is coming and all that is crooked in this world will be made straight. And so we wait and we don't waste what feels like deafening silence. We wrestle with doubt and we ask God that that he would allow us to, to take our struggles and to bring us into our great need of him. And then he would lead us to cry out, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, thou long expected Jesus. God, in his silence, what feels like silence, can move us from doubt to faith. The last thing that our passage shows us that can move us from doubt to faith is our silence. Luke chapter 1, verse 18, Zechariah questions, how shall I know this? In verse 20, the angel Gabriel says, behold, Zechariah, you're going to be silent. You're going to be unable to speak until the day that these things take place. God shuts the mouth of Zechariah, and he's unable to speak for the entirety of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Ten months. Close to 40 weeks of silence. Now, I have to give credit to Fabian Anderson because there's a group of staff that we gather every week uh, to discuss the passage that's going to be preached on. And she corrected me this week. I almost said nine months of silence, nine months of pregnancy. And she was very clear to tell me it's more than 36 weeks normally uh, to carry. I should know that. My wife has carried three boys full term. Uh, But then she made a great insight. She said, if it's close to 40 weeks, it's even more revealing how Zechariah is mirroring Israel. As Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and waited for 400 years for Malachi, Zechariah is silent for 40 weeks. What happens to you when you spend periods in silence? I don't know if you've ever done it, if you've ever taken time to be intentionally silent for a long period of time. Even 15 minutes of silence. The silence becomes deafening. becomes loud because... All of your interior heart's wrestlings and questions, all of your emotions 
you start to hear them very clearly. But in, in silence, you also have time not just to reflect on what's happening on your inside. You have, to, you have time to meditate and to ponder on God's work in your life and in the world. Zechariah had 40 weeks to let his doubts have a voice, to let his questions come to the surface, to feel his anger and his sadness and his loneliness and to ponder and meditate on God's faithfulness in his life and in the history of the people of God. When Zechariah is forced by God to stop and enter into silence, his doubt turns to faith. You see, silence is a gift that God has given to his people so that we can do as Psalm 46.10 tells us, to be still and know that he is God. Exodus 14.14 says, God will fight for you. You need only be still. Silence is a spiritual practice that opens us up to God's presence and to God's working. Uh, Bernie Krause is a guy who records nature sounds for film and television. A number of years ago, he was recorded as saying that in 1968, in order to get one hour of natural sound, like no airplanes, no cars, that it would take him about 15 hours of recording time. He said in our present day, that was 1968, in our present day, to get that same one hour of undisturbed sound, it takes him 2,000 hours of recording time. We live in a noisy world, sometimes surrounded by noise unintentionally, like the noise of planes and cars and construction, but often we're surrounded by noise intentionally. The ringing of the phone, the dinging of a text, the AirPods in the ears, listening to music or our favorite podcast. We get in our cars and we turn something immediately on our speakers. Psalm 4.4 says, ponder in your own hearts and be silent. Jesus often withdrew to lonely and silent places. Silence is an often neglected spiritual practice that God has given his people to move us from doubt to faith. I'm going to give you a visual image this morning. We don't use props very, very much here at Christ Central. Uh, at the 9 a.m. it went, okay, I'm going to try it again at the 1045. Uh, to drive this truth home, uh, I've been on two different retreats over the last number of years, and the leaders both used this as a, a visual image, and it really resonated with me, and so I'm going to try to use it with you. So here in this big old jar is clear water, right? Uh, and this is a representation of our interior life, our soul, our hearts, right, the interior uh, and so God, God made us to have clarity, to be settled in, uh, with God. But what happens as we live in a fallen world, the brokenness of our sin, our sin, the brokenness of this world, the noise, the, the busyness, the struggles that we all face, just kind of get poured into our hearts and to our souls. The doubts, the questions, the things that we want that aren't happening and we're wrestling and they get poured in and stirred into our, our hearts and we're wrestling our souls and it just kind of do it a little bit here. I did it too hard in the first service. And what you'll see happen is as this jar remains still and silent, I'm going to leave it, is you'll see all this, all, all the stuff on the inside begins to settle at the bottom. And, and, and the, the, what's being communicated is that when we're still and when we're silent before God, he's, he's able to take to settle us into his presence. And, and we gain clarity of heart, clarity of soul, and God meets us in our needs and he transforms us in this spiritual practice of silence. And so I'm, I'm gonna let that sit there. But when I've practiced silence 
what I've noticed in, in my own life is there's a lot more hearing, there's a lot more seeing, there's a lot more listening. In silence, we settle and we have time to reflect and we can meditate and remember on how God has been faithful and, and we're moved to, to more faith. We're strengthened in our faith. So what happens to Zechariah? Because in faith, he confirms that the baby's to be named John, not Zechariah Jr. like most of his family wanted. Because Zechariah is now trusting God and the angel told him to name the child John and so he obeys in faith. And God finally opens his mouth and the first words out of his mouth are benedictus, which is Latin for blessed. Blessed be God. And then he sings the song of full salvation about a God who forgives us from our sins, who liberates us from our enemies, who's ushering, the, ushering in the dawn of a new day. Zechariah moves from silence to blessing God. God shuts Zechariah's mouth and then God opens his mouth. God is at work in both. It is God who is at work in the plenty and in the want. In the joy and in the sorrow, God is at work when his voice is clear and when the silence is deafening. God fights for you. We remain still. I started this sermon by asking you to think about one thing that you've been waiting on or for for what feels like a long time. One thing that you've been asking God to change or to make different or to provide that hasn't happened yet and you're still waiting on. We're going to do something right now that might feel awkward to some of you. It feels awkward maybe by yourself, but particularly in a sanctuary with hundreds of people. Give us a, a decent amount of time to be silent and to be still. And what I want to ask from you in this time uh, is to put two feet on the ground. Embody. Be present. I want you to ask, I want to ask you to put your phone away if you have your phone on you. If you have anything that is distracting you, put it to the side. If you're comfortable, in this time, you can open your hands like this uh, as, as we sit here in silence. Because what I want you to do is I want you to think of that one thing that you named earlier. And I want you to surrender to God again. And I want you to offer your longing and your desire to God. I want you to ask God to come. I want you to meditate on the fullness of his salvation, that you're forgiven, that God is in the business of liberating all who are oppressed and that God is ushering in a new day uh, of his salvation, light bursting into the darkness. And so I'm going to give you time now to be silent and to be still.
brothers and sisters, silence can be deafening, can it? It can be loud. But as you can see, it's better than the 9 a.m. The dirt and the sediment are coming to the bottom. As we settle and as we're still and as we're silent before God, he uses it to give us clarity of what's going on, to voice what's going on inside of us. And then he meets us and he transforms us and he reminds us of his salvation. He gives us his peace. God uses it to move us from doubt to faith. God is at work, Christ Central. In the deafening silence, uh, it feels like God is being silent and he's at work in our own silence. He may not be at work in our timelines and in our ways, but he has promised. And so we wait with hope and we trust in faith. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to close this a little different since I'm doing everything a little different this morning than normal with a prayer that that hangs in my office that I pray quite consistently. And I'm going to pray it and I'm going to ask you to follow along in prayer with me just quietly. I want you to listen and meditate on this prayer and let God use it. Uh, He's used it uh, in deep ways in my life. So let's pray together and then we're going to come to the table. Above all, Trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything. To reach the end without delay, we should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you. And accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Amen.